Today is Wednesday, July the 12th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, that's L-I-V-E, streaming on the internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Judge orders Biden officials to limit contact with social media companies. A U.S. federal judge last Tuesday restricted some agencies and officials of the administration from meeting and communicating with social media companies to moderate their content, according to a court filing. The injunction came in response to a lawsuit brought by Republican attorney generals in Louisiana and Missouri, who alleged that U.S. government officials went too far in efforts to encourage social media companies to address posts they worried could contribute to vaccine hesitancy during the COVID-19 pandemic or upend elections. The ruling said government agencies like the Department of Health and Human Services and the FBI could not talk to social media companies for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech under the free speech clause of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. The litigation was originally filed by former Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. Schmidt, who was elected to U.S. Senate in November, used Twitter to welcome the injunction and called it a win for free speech. The order also mentioned by name officials including the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandra Mayorkas and Jen Easterly, who heads the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in its restrictions. Judge Terry Doherty, in an order filed with the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana, made some exceptions for communications between government officials and the companies, including to warn about risk to national security and about criminal activity. The injunction was first reported by the Washington Post. Tuesday's order marks a win for the Republicans who had sued the Biden administration, saying it was using the coronavirus health crisis and the threat of misinformation as an excuse to curb views that disagreed with the government. U.S. officials have said they were aiming to tamp down misinformation about COVID vaccines to curb preventable deaths. Facebook and Instagram parent meta platforms, Twitter and Alphabet, YouTube, did not respond to requests for any comments. The First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. 
the Department of Justice filed a notice of appeal with the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, according to Bloomberg. The agency argues that its contact with social media companies constituted necessary and responsible actions to protect public health, safety, and security during a time of increased risk. Some legal experts said the ruling did not give adequate weight to the rights of the administration to cajole the companies to limit their publication of content that the officials considered objectionable. American social media businesses have the right to editorial discretion, including content moderation, free of government coercion, whatever those decisions may be. The government attempting to control what speech appears online undermines this right and the free speech values in the United States. China curbs a potential bargaining chip to counter U.S.-led semiconductor ban. Beijing imposes export controls on two metal crucial to the production of semiconductors, communication equipment, and solar panels. Washington is considered the main target of the new rules. Beijing's decision to impose export controls on critical raw materials used in manufacturing semiconductors, communications equipment, and solar panels could complicate the U.S.-led efforts to shift critical supply chains away from China. As it seeks to gain leverage in negotiations with Washington over access to core technology. According to the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a think tank in Washington, if China chooses to weaponize these supply chains, it will greatly complicate the calculus in the United States. The European Union and Asia, in terms of reducing dependence on China, it would take considerable time and investment to recreate even a portion of critical mineral supply chain. Almost certainly see these controls as a potential bargaining chip, which it could use to attempt to convince the United States and Western governments to roll back elements of recent export controls on semiconductors and semiconductor manufacturing equipment. China's Ministry of Commerce and Administration of Customs announced on Monday, starting on August the 1st, Exports of gallium, germanium, and several other industrial compounds will be subject to restrictions in order to safeguard national security and interest. Exporters will be required to have approval from the State Council, China's cabinet for the listed items. Calling the measure retaliation for the United States' October 2022 ban on the export of some cutting-edge semiconductor technology to China, Experts said that although Beijing's curb would likely have an impact on large number of countries, Washington was really the main target. The United States is the number one target of the export control imposed on gallium and germanium. Germanium goes into major military technology as well. China is targeting the U.S. restriction on selling semiconductor chips to Chinese companies. It's a clear retaliation against U.S. actions on semiconductors. This is likely to escalate the tech war in the medium term. China is the world's largest producer of two elements, with more than 95% of the global gallium output and 67% of the germanium production. 
According to a recent U.S. Geological Survey and Department of the Interior report, between 2018 and 2021, 53% of the U.S. gallium imports came from China, followed by Germany and Japan at 13% each, Ukraine at 5%, and others at 16%. In 2022, gallium metal imports increased by an estimated 34% from those in 2021, owing to increased imports from Canada, China, Slovakia, and the United Kingdom. For germanium imports, China accounted for 54% followed by Belgium, Germany, Russia, and others at 27, 9, 8, and 2% respectively between 2018 and 2021. The report added that in 2022, zinc concentrates containing germanium were produced at mines in Alaska and Tennessee. The United States has significant deposits of germanium, but has strict controls on its extraction. Now, the United States and European Union will start seriously looking at alternative sources, but replacing China immediately would be difficult. The Global Public Policy Institute in Berlin said that Beijing's actions were a very useful reminder of the urgency of de-risking from China on critical resources, even if that means higher costs and or engaging in unpopular pursuits of mining and refining at home. Last week, the Netherlands announced new export controls on advanced chip manufacturing following Washington's lead to hobble China's advance in chip-making technology. China's chip ambition dealt fresh blow by new export rules on ASML machines. The state-owned China Daily described Beijing's move as just and righteous. Those doubting China's decisions could ask the United States government why it holds the world's largest germanium mines but seldom exploits them. Or they could ask the Netherlands why it included certain semiconductor-related products, such as lithographic machines, into its export control list. It is they, China said, that challenge the world supply chain and the blames that belong to them should never be shifted to China as it's defending its own legal national interest in this rather uncertain world. Back in October of 2022, the U.S. imposed new restrictions on technology exports to China, which undercut the country's ability to develop wide swaths of the economy. From semiconductors and supercomputers to surveillance systems and advanced weapons. Toyota claims battery breakthrough in potential boost for electric cars. Japanese firm believes it could make a solid-state battery with a range of 745 miles that charges in 10 minutes. Toyota says it has made a technological breakthrough that will allow it to have the weight size, and cost of batteries, and what could herald a major advance for electric vehicles. The world's second largest car maker was already pursuing a plan to roll out cars with advanced solid-state batteries, which offer benefits compared with liquid-based batteries by 2025. Last Tuesday, the Japanese company said it had simplified production of the material used to make them, hailing the discovery as a significant leap forward that could dramatic cut charging times and increase driving range. 
For both our liquid and our solid-state batteries, we are aiming to drastically change the situation where current batteries are too big, heavy, and expensive, said the president of the Japanese auto firm's Research and Development Center for Carbon Neutrality. In terms of potential, we will aim to have all these factors. David Bailey, a professor of business economics at the University of Birmingham, said that if Toyota claims were founded, it could be a landmark moment for the future of electric cars. Often, there are breakthroughs at the prototype stage, but then scaling it up is most difficult. If it is a genuine breakthrough, it could be a game changer, very much the holy grail of battery vehicles. He also said the company had developed ways to make batteries more durable and believed it could now make a solid-state battery with a range of 1,200 kilometers or 745 miles that could charge in 10 minutes or less. The company expects to be able to manufacture solid-state batteries for use in electric vehicles as soon as 2027, according to the Financial Times, which first reported on Toyota's claimed breakthrough. Solid-state batteries have been widely seen as a potential game-changer for electric vehicles, promising to reduce charging times, increase capacity, and reduce the fire risk associated with lithium-ion batteries, which use liquid electrolyte. However, solid-state batteries have typically been harder and costlier to make, limiting their commercial application. Toyota said it believed it could simplify the production process potentially, making solid-state batteries easier to, to produce than lithium-ion ones. The Japanese car maker has been seen as something of a laggard compared with rivals in the electric vehicle market. In June of last year, it recalled 2,700 of its first electric vehicles because of concerns the wheels could fall off. Last month, the Advertising Standards Authority banned advertisements by Toyota and Hyundai for exaggerating the speed at which electric cars could be charged and misleading consumers about the availability of rapid charging points across the UK and Ireland. Tech jobs are still the most in demand, says job market expert, but you need these skills to land them. Amid the slew of mass layoffs in the tech industry over the past year, some job hunters might think twice about trying to enter the industry. But fear not, says Richard Walquist, chief executive at the American Staffing Association, a trade group that represents staffing companies across industries. Walquist has a bird's eye view of which sectors are hiring and which specific jobs employers need to fill. He notes that sectors like healthcare and construction continue to need workers. But from his vantage point, he says tech is still leading the way when it comes to hiring demand. Despite recent headlines involving layoffs at major companies, tech jobs remain among the most in-demand jobs in the labor market. What has changed about the tech hiring landscape, the jobs are less at big tech companies. Instead, tech workers should target their job search at small and medium-sized enterprises, said Walquist. Indeed, Zip Recruiter's chief economist, Julia Pollack, said in February that even the tech workers who had been laid off found new jobs quickly. According to layoffs.fyi, 
Nearly 213,000 tech employees worldwide have been laid off in 2023 as of early July. Waquist says the downsizing was a response to the irrational hiring exuberance that occurred during the pandemic when COVID-related stimulus spurred big tech's growth. As the macro environment changed and the prospect of a recession loomed, those companies that had overhired found themselves in need of a staffing trim. Many workers used to see power players like Meta, Amazon, and Google as havens of job security in an ever-changing industry. However, over the past year, many employees at these companies have woken up to surprise layoff messages in their inboxes, telling them their job has been cut effective immediately. Now the narratives has flipped. Big tech is no longer the refuge from volatility that it might have once been. Instead, Walkwood says, tech workers are better off looking at small to medium-sized companies, nonprofits, and even state and federal government. They may also find hefty demand for their skills outside of the tech sector, like in finance and banking. For example, he cites the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, which announced in May that it was looking for tech workers for 1,000 new jobs. Tech is everywhere in the labor market, and the relatively small number of layoffs at some very prominent large companies is not going to change that fact, says Walquist. The Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that between 2021 and 2031, jobs for cybersecurity analysts will grow by 35% and software developers by 25%, both outpacing the average 5% growth rate. That is, the demand for tech workers is not slowing down, though how and where those workers get hired is changing. Walquist says that tech companies are paying more attention to certain skills, especially as innovations like artificial intelligence and cloud computing continue to disrupt the industry. As the demand for tech workers continues, companies are changing their job description to focus more on skills and less on degrees. Someone looking to enter the tech field must be ready to become a lifelong learner because the programs and processes they learn today may soon be out of date, he says. He says that along with the upskilling in AI, tech job seekers should be more competitive in the job hunt. Agony of Ageism Why Turning 35 is a Curse in China Chinese state media on Thursday took aim at employers' discriminatory hiring practices including a trend among companies seeking younger and cheaper workers that has become widely known as the Curse of 35. The Workers' Daily newspaper has been at the forefront of a media campaign to draw attention to the iniquities of a labor market shaped by high youth unemployment, an aging population, and a slowing economy. Job seekers should not be discriminated against for their age, gender, marital status, and family planning, but it would take time to change companies' attitudes, the newspaper said in an editorial headline, to remove invisible employment barriers, we must gnaw down a hard bone. Back in March, the newspaper cited two studies that laid bare how workers aged 35 years or over were losing out. 
One study found many job advertisements explicitly limited the age of candidates to below 35, including for civil service admission and jobs with several local governments. The other study, conducted by Sichuan University, found that out of 300,000 job postings, over 80% in Shanghai and more than 70% in the southwestern city of Chengdu sought applicants under 35. With the economy losing momentum, China's survey-based jobless rate stayed at 5.2% in May, but youth employment jumped to a record 20.8%. And with population aging, many people talk about the curse, believing that chances of getting a job or losing one worsen once they cross 35. What does the future hold? University graduates are told to be flexibly employed. Employees age over 35 are laid off, and many migrant workers are extending their retirement ages, said one netizen on China's Twitter-like Weibo. If people become unemployed at the age of 35, the older people can only go back to college then, said another. Last Wednesday, a news portal for Zhenjiang provincial government called for authorities, companies, and individuals to work together to break the curse of 35 as it posted a report on its website saying that some large internet firms were laying off workers based on their age. In China, 30s are the new 60s. Workers dread turning 35 as employers are reluctant to hire older people. Several job postings have capped the age limit for 35 or below. With no employment, marriage and kids remain a distant dream. They say your 30s are just your 20s with money. Having worked for a few years, you have made enough to enjoy the finer things in life, but not if you're living in China. Approaching the mid-30s is a reason for people to worry. It is the age when the Chinese believe they lose their appeal. Many Chinese white-collar workers fear that their job is under threat once they turn 35. They claim that companies do not prefer working with people who are above this age, according to a report by the New York Times. But what's wrong with 35? If the curse is to be believed, employers consider hiring people in their mid-30s to be more expensive than fresh graduates. That's not all. Middle-aged workers are also not willing to put in those extra hours and work overtime. The curse of 35 is not a myth. Many companies hesitate to hire people in this age group. In fact, the Chinese government has made it official. It has capped the hiring age of most civil servant positions at 35, according to the New York Times report. The Chinese internet is abuzz with the curse of 35 phenomenon, though there is no clarity on how it started or became viral. The job market remains weak in post-pandemic China, and age discrimination is prevalent. It is not considered against the law. A post that went viral online sums up the dilemma of the Chinese working class. Too old to work at 35 and too young to retire at 60. It refers to people not finding enough job opportunities in their 30s and the fact that the older generation may need to continue working with the government considering raising the retirement age in the country. The Chinese fear turning 35 as more and more people in this age group are finding themselves without jobs. Companies in China are brazen about the fact that they want to hire younger people. A job posting at a firm that sells maternity products has set the age limit at 32.
Chinese companies like to chase the hottest trend instead of perfecting what they already have. So experience and expertise aren't the qualities they value most, the report says. The trend to hire the workers below 35 is more prominent in the tech sector with a 996 work culture. Working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week thrives. Those above 35 are considered too old to handle the workload. The pandemic only added made matters worse for those in their mid-30s. Nearly two-thirds of people aged 35 and above were laid off in March of 2020 and are still looking for jobs in September, according to a report released by the Development Research Center of the State Council, which was based on data and survey from Chinese job portal Xiaopin. While age discrimination at work affects all old employees, people in their 30s who are facing this problem for the first time are the most affected. It's the age when many in China take big life decisions about marriage and children, and with no job security, they are forced to put them on hold. Ageism in New York City is a serious issue, with 29% of young New Yorkers feeling seniors shouldn't work. Age discrimination is a serious issue that must be confronted in the Big Apple, especially as the number of residents aged 65 and up is expected to continue climbing, according to a new report. Older adults and people of color have experienced disproportionate illness and death during the COVID-19 pandemic, the city health department said in an analysis on ageism. The pandemic has also exposed and perpetuated ageism. For example, some public discourse portrayed older adults as less valuable than younger people when it comes to allocation of resources for care, according to the brief entitled, How Ageist Are We in New York City? Of New York City's 8.65 million citizens, 1.73 million, or 20% are seniors, 60 years of age and over, according to the Department for the Aging. That figure is expected to surge to 1.86 million, or 40%, by 2040, as members of the baby boomer generation become senior citizens. Age discrimination could worsen the physical and mental health conditions of older New Yorkers and increased medical costs, while positive feelings about age can have beneficial health effects such as possibly protecting against dementia, the report said. The number of residents aged 65 and up is expected to continue climbing in New York. In its analysis, the health department cited statistics from an unpublicized internal 2019 survey of 1,200 adults conducted before the COVID-19 outbreak that revealed discrimination against older adults. The poll found that 60% of younger adults agreed that New York City is a place where older adults are valued members of the community, while only 35% of New Yorkers believed that was the case. Meanwhile, nearly 40% of people younger than 65 said speaking slowly would help older adults understand things, while only 13% of seniors believed that was necessary. Nearly a third of the younger adults agree that older adults are too easily offended or interpret innocent remarks as being ageist, compared to just 7% and 9% of senior citizens, respectively, who believe that was the case. 
The polls survey different perspectives younger New Yorkers have on elderly people. Nearly 20% of the younger adults believe older adults are a drain on the health care system and economy. Nearly double the 11% of older adults who said so. City officials said these examples constituted hostile ageism. Age discrimination could worsen the physical and mental health conditions of older New Yorkers and increase medical costs. Elsewhere, 37% of younger adults said seniors need to be protected from the harsh realities of society, double the 18% of adults who said that was necessary. One third of the younger respondents said seniors are too old to do certain things and whose feelings get hurt when they fail compared to 14% of older adults who agreed with the statements. New York's population include 1.73 million seniors that are 60 years of age and over, according to the Department for the Aging. Another 29% of younger respondents said seniors shouldn't be allowed to work and had already paid their debt to society, compared to 7% of older adults who said the same. These findings expose benevolent ageism, health officials said. Mitigating ageism is key to healthy aging in our city and can lead to longer, more productive lives for everybody. Despite the ubiquity of ageism on individual and systemic levels, awareness and recognition are important first steps in combating negative stereotypes and assumptions about older adults, the report said. The analysis highlighted the city's programs in place to help Gotham's older New Yorkers and counter ageism. For example, the department drafted specific COVID guidance for those 65 and older and visited homebound residents during the city's vaccination campaign so they could get their shots. Age was considered a risk factor for COVID-19. Health officials said they also worked closely with the department for the aging to curb ageism and create opportunities for older adults to thrive and age in their neighborhoods and recently published anti-ageism guide with the Department of Education to teach students about age-based discrimination. Although this news item is about ageism in New York City, ageism is a global challenge according to the World Health Organization. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers, technology, the workplace. And one of the biggest things that has come out of the usage of technology, out of the integration of technology within all of our work environments, has been a healthy work life balance and how do we maintain it how do we how do we I, I mean technology connects us everywhere how many of us okay so we've given our boss our our cell phone numbers we've we may even have a cell phone provided by the office so technology has made it so easy today for all of us to stay connected, for us to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
I will take you back in time. And I, I worked for a company that I was working, uh, I, I was commuting an hour each way. And on top of that, I was, I was working 14, 16 hour days. I want you to do the math. 16 hour days. That leaves an hour of commute each way. That brings us to 18. So I was getting six hours of sleep. All right. And that was because I was connected. I was uh, I was the IT director and I was going through and I was doing a lot of different things. And I actually burned out. This was roughly about the age of 30. So what do I want you to do? And this is on the employer side and the employee side. I want to encourage boundaries. I want employees to have boundaries. Whereas after hours, emails are just ignored. Notifications are turned off. This is going to enrich the employee. This is also going to enrich the workplace. Because if you do not have rested employees, you won't have optimal productivity. Yes, we can think, oh, yes, if they're working for me uh, a matter of 16 hours a day, 12 hours a day, if they're on call for me 12 hours a day, I'm going to get more work out of them. Yeah, that you're going to get more work, but it's going to be poor quality work. It's going to be work that is going to be provided begrudgingly. It's going to have unintentional mistakes. And sometimes due to frustration, there will be... Uh, subconsciously intentional mistakes. I, I, that's not really the way to say it, but they're just not going to put in the effort that they will if they have an eight-hour day. So there are other things, of course, that we can do. A matter of giving out flexible work schedules, giving out options to work via remote, uh, which will reduce commuting time, and it does increase that flexibility. I will tell you, flexibility does it really does make a difference when someone can go and they can go off to uh, the DMV or a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day. Because I'll tell you, the DMV isn't open at seven o'clock at night. The doctor does not see people for regular routine visits at eight o'clock at night. So you've got healthier employees. You've got employees that are mentally healthier as well. Of course, another thing is making sure that breaks are taken. You have to take breaks. You have to take lunch. Sure, you may be dieting. You may say, oh, I don't need to take a lunch hour. I want you to grab your Kindle. I want you to grab a book. I want you to use your Kindle app, whatever it is. I want you to escape from work. And when I say escape from work, this is once a week. I would suggest that you completely take a lunch on your own, the lunch period, and it is completely separate. It's not going on out with some of your coworkers to lunch. It's not going on out and and, and just mindlessly disengaging. I'm talking about engage somewhere else. If you have wellness programs, you have these resources available for physical and mental health, I want you to take advantage of those. And I, I again, I, I'm saying this on the employer and employee side. If you don't have a wellness program for your employees, get one. Encourage them. 
Set up things for them. Hey, you know what? Johnny, you're doing a great job for us. I don't want you to burn out. Uh, You know what? I I know you've been talking about wanting to go to the gym on a regular basis. I'll tell you what. I will pay your gym membership if you're going to the gym three times a week at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Before you head on that commute home, just go and and work out. And this is on me. I, I want to encourage you to do that. And maybe you say in the morning, whatever it is. One last item, and that is paid uh, paid time off. That's your mental health days. This is this is something that is there for people to take time for themselves. I will tell you, the regeneration that comes from just having that little bit of time off, that little bit of time to focus on things that are outside of the workplace, that ability to just just relax. And you need to set it up so that they feel comfortable. Oh, you've got you've got this project that's due today, you've got this project that's due Friday, you've got three projects due next week. You know what? I understand that. I will put, I will put everything back by one day. By you know, I'll even give you two days back if you just take a paid day off and just relax and recharge. I will tell you, giving them that ability to to kind of shift and to relax is going to be great. You, as an employee, taking that opportunity to invest not in the company, but in yourself, in your peace of mind, is invaluable. All of these days, they stack up, and there's no problem with using them. They give them to you, So take them. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. In New York City, companies will have to prove their AI hiring software isn't sexist or racist. AI-infused hiring programs have drawn scrutiny, most notably over whether they end up exhibiting biases based on the data they're trained on. New York City businesses that use artificial intelligence to help find hires now have to show the process was free from sexism and racism. A new law which which has taken effect on Wednesday is to believe the first of its kind in the world. Under New York's new rule, hiring software that relies on machine learning or artificial intelligence to help employers choose preferred candidates or weed out bad ones, are called an Automatic Employment Decision Tool. An AEDT must pass an audit by a third-party company to show it's free of racist or sexist bias. Companies that run AI hiring software must also publish those results. Businesses that use third-party AEDT software can no longer legally use such program if they haven't been audited. Companies are increasingly using automated tools in their hiring processes. Cathay O'Neill, the CEO of Orcus, a consulting firm that has been running audits of hiring tools for companies that want to be in good standing with New York's new law, said the rise in tools that automatically judge job candidates has become necessary because job seekers are also using tools to send out huge numbers of applications. In the age of the internet, It's a lot easier to apply for a job, and there are tools for candidates to streamline that process, like give us your resume, 
and we will apply that to 400 jobs, O'Neill said. They get just too many applications. They have to cull the list somehow, so these algorithms do that for them. AI-infused hiring programs have drawn scrutiny, most notably over whether they end up exhibiting biases based on the data they're trained on. Studies have long found that programs that use machines learning or artificial intelligence often exhibit racism, sexism, and other biases. As flashy generative AI applications like ChatGPT and MidJourney have surged in popularity, federal lawmakers and even many tech companies' executives have repeatedly called for regulation. But so far, there's little sense from Congress what that might look like. Experts say that while the New York law is important for workers, it's still very limited. For instance, the bias audit is very limited in terms of categories. We don't look at age-based discrimination, for example, which in hiring is a huge deal. It's also not clear how the law will be enforced and to what extent. Moreover, who determines what constitutes racism, sexism, and discrimination? Ivy League University unveils plans to teach students with AI chatbot this fall. And, by the way, the Ivy League University, in this case, is Harvard. Students at one of America's most elite universities will be in for a surprise this fall when they discover their flagship coding class is taught with help from the AI chatbot in a bend on what Professor David Mallon, the course overseer, defines as an evolution of tradition. Harvard University unleashed plans to incorporate AI chatbots to teach the course, venturing deeper into the uncharted territory of artificial intelligence, a territory that has exponentially grown and altered the course of technology in the past several months. Though the idea sounds novel and exciting, Martin Rand, Pactum AI co-founder and CEO, want to be wary of the dangers. I would say the dangers are that we have to consider that these are statistical models, said he. These would come up with the most probable answers and high probability can also mean mediocrity. So professors need to be there to provide exceptionalism. And I think Harvin has taken the right approach in providing this only to the introductory courses, he said. Rand said, Despite the potential drawbacks, the development has an upside and could help create growth and encourage further innovation and education. According to the school's newspaper, the Harvard Crimson, Professor Mallon said that introductory level coding course that will employ the bot has historically aimed to unveil new software in the syllabus and the CS50, which is the Computer Science 50 bot, is another way of doing just that. Our hope is that through AI, we can eventually approximate a one-to-one teacher-student ratio for every student in CS50 as by providing them with software-based tools that 24-7 can support their learning at a pace and in style that works best for them individually. The AI bot will help students find errors in their coding, answer questions, offer feedback, and help students learn more about the coding process in other ways. Malin further explains that though the bot will have question-answering capabilities, its answers can be reviewed by human staff members. 
He also explained that the bot's purpose is to help guide students through the learning process instead of outright answering questions for them. Martin Rand, the Pactum AI co-founder and CEO, said that despite the potential drawbacks, the development could help create growth and encourage further innovation and education. Advancements in artificial intelligence, particularly in education, have raised concerns that the bots could lead students to become lazy and increasingly dependent on technology for answers. In my humble opinion, can I assume then that with AI teaching, these elite universities can cut the cost of a college education and maybe even cut the number of TAs teaching the courses, which range as high as 60% in certain schools? Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston joins me now, and Marty is he, he, he's always reviewing something new. He's always got something <laughs> novel, or, or sometimes it's just run of the mill. But it, but it's it, but you've got a, a way of putting it that that just makes us think. So let's well, dive I, in. What do you have for us? I, I hope so, neighbor Ben. Let's let's hope it makes us. SPD, Stanley Black and Decker. I haven't had anything from them in forever, and finally broke that by getting a Stanley Control Lock measuring tape with finger break. Okay. Now, the, the housing is shaped to fit in your palm between your fingers and your thumb, which puts your index finger at the finger break. And mm-hmm. when you squeeze that break to slow or stop tape motion, the inch wide blade of tape itself responds. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that tape is curved to allow an extended reach, meaning it can hold out without drooping or collapsing. They claim a total reach of 12 feet. We got about nine, but that's still impressive. Mm -hmm, Uh, This tape is available in uh, several lengths, 12, 16, 25, 26, and 30 feet. Prices between nine and 19 bucks at Home Depot. Okay. Uh, Got in a wonderful knife uh, from Wee Knife, a Civivi, C-I-V-I-V-I. <gasps> you got one of those. I oh, got I, oh, I have seen so many different uh, folks talking about those uh, oh, yeah. around. The, my the my wife wants one. The, uh, whoa, happy birthday. The, the, <laughs> the Civivi Cogent knife. Okay. Uh, well, we, we just asked them to send us a sample knife from their hot Civivi line and... Uh, as soon as we were able to open the box and slip their model out, you could see my grin begin. I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. Black stonewashed stainless steel blade, just short of three and a half inches long, okay. with a top taper and a lower curve to an all business clip point, plus a serrated half near the handle. Okay, nice. Boy, that's useful. The handle is micarta. Now, that's mm-hmm, a composite mm-hmm. of fabric and a thermoset plastic. Its use, my card is used for insulation and, and, and power electrical systems, but here it's used to provide a firm textured grip, a lot lighter weight than most other knife grips. I love that. And thanks to good balance and a great bearing, it's tiny, f- and this is smaller than most, flipper trigger, easily okay. speeds the blade into an open and locked position. A thumb button on the side, just over that flipper, readily releases it. That's Civivi, the C-I-V-I-V-I, cogent knife. It's about 85 bucks at civivi.com, or you can also find it on Amazon. So so let me ask you, um, so, it's, it's, so it's, it's easy opening. What about closing? Can you close it with one hand? Yes. 
Okay. Thanks to the button. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Motorola Moto Buds. Uh, yeah. They're they're Moto Bud 600 A and C automatic noise canceling yeah, with yeah. Snapdragon processor. Now, in this case, they're doing hybrid active noise cancellation with six microphones in each bud to help sense the local noise environment and the Qualcomm Snapdragon sound controller for up to 35 decibels of electronic noise cancellation. You can switch on or off with a tap when you're outdoors, for example, okay. and All need right. to hear everything around you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, echo cancellation. And and they're, they're Bluetooth. They do fast pairing, 15-minute quick charging, gives you an hour and a half of usage. A full charge is good for up to six hours, and its wireless charging case can hold a 20-hour charge. They're about 150 bucks on Amazon. Okay. All right. So... Uh uh, so it, it, the interesting thing, though, you're you're talking about six microphones on each side. So uh, that's three on each side. Oh, I, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry. No, it is six on each side. Six on each. Yeah. Okay. So are, 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 are they doing some directional stuff with that, or? Well, the, it's doing full analysis and and treatment. You know, you're you're going to get based on the spacing phase information. Sure. Yeah. And the things that are consistent tend to be ambient, and ambient becomes easy to eliminate by doing that. Mm -hmm. And also because you have the two buds, you have ambient on both sides, the mask just works out. Okay. All right. Uh, last thing I want to cover today is Zevo on-body mosquito and tick repellent lotion. I'm going to tell you, listen carefully to this one. Okay. If you have one of those rare perfect memories, you may recall that I did a review some time ago for... The Zevo, that Z-E-V-O, flying insect trap, which mm -hmm. was, you know, a light to draw them and the uh, shaped piece of what was very much like flypaper inside. Mm -hmm. okay. I just got something new from them, a pump bottle of lotion that they say repels ticks and mosquitoes for up to eight hours. Adults can leave it on overnight, but you're supposed to keep it from being in contact with plastics, costume jewelry, leather and synthetic fabrics. What are you wearing? You know, your skin uh, oh, okay. has so, to so, be dry. So plastics, yeah, leather. Okay, so no leather coats, but I mean, okay, no, you're, you're, no synthetic fabrics, no costume so, so jewelry. So no polyester costume, but what are they defining as costume jewelry? And things made with plastic, I assume. Your skin has okay. to be dry when you apply it. You need to mm. avoid applying it to cuts, wounds, freshly shaven or irritated skin. And if you're ready to throw the bottle away before it's completely empty. It tells you to contact your local solid waste agency for disposal instructions. Wait, you know wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> well, it's dangerous to dispose of in, in the normal ways. Now, there, okay. there, there are enough people who hate or fear flea and tick bites that they'll find a way to follow all those rules to get protected. A Zevo on-body flea and tick repellent lotion. That's the name and, of this one. And mosquito, too, right? Well, yeah. Mosquito in there. Okay. Uh, to flying, um, yeah, ticks, mosquitoes, fleas, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> a bunch of bugs. We'll, we'll just stick with a bunch of bugs. All right. The Zivo debugger. There we go. All right. This is Benjamin Rockwell. That's Marty Winston. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. And thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information 
on Remote Meeting ID. Tech Ed Connect, Thursday, July the 6th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Their website is wpcug.org. The Kingsbyte Computer Club meets Tuesday, July the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. They meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant, located at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. For more information, call 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club meets Thursday, July the 13th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, July 14th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is limac.org. And just to let everyone know, I'm aware that there is an issue with the website of the Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey, and they're working on recovering and restoring it to operation. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN, live streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy till we meet again, same time, same station, next week.